Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. As you know, at Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter, we try to bring the best guests on to talk about leadership and their experience. And today, I am so thrilled that we have Mr. Hort Schultz, the author of Excellent Wins. And also, I understand that he's he was one of the people responsible for starting the Ritz-Carlton, if I got that correct. Horace, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Before we jump into Excellence Wins, um, if you could, could you provide our audience with a little bit about, you know, your education, background, and experience? Well, I, yeah, I'm born in a small town in Germany, and I left home, if you will, uh, and worked in a hotel, living in a dorm room 100 miles away from my home village when I was 14. And I started as a busboy, dishwasher, and so on. I worked there for three years, became an assistant waiter, worked consequently in the finest hotels in Europe. I don't exaggerate that, truly the finest. And uh, in 1964, I came to the U.S., and started working as a waiter again and uh, worked for Hilton Hyatt. And uh, eventually, after I was in Hyatt, I was a regional vice president for 10 hotels after many other stages, of course. I became in charge of 65 hotels, food and beverage operations in the United States. When somebody in Atlanta started a new hotel company They had two hotels in construction and were looking for somebody to run the operations. They were developers and financial people. They needed somebody to run the operations. They offered me the job. I had really no interest, but they kind of painted. I had beautiful job with Hyatt. I made golden handcuffs and everything you can imagine. But they kind of painted the picture where I could run my own company. And... uh, a vision developed, a dream developed, and I followed, rather than common sense and good sense, I followed my dream and moved to Atlanta to start a new hotel company which, uh, I, with, that had no hotels. <laughs> so <laughs> I left from running operations for 65 hotels to a company that had no hotels. <laughs> but a year later, we opened our first hotel. And I left nine, retired 19 years later after we had 55 hotels opened worldwide. Wow. That is, that is phenomenal. That is awesome. And the Cambridge Carlton, of course. Wow. Which is a phenomenal hotel, which I have enjoyed immensely as a guest. Okay, good. Thank you. Excellent. So let's talk about excellent wins. Um, what, what motivated you to put this, your, your great thoughts onto paper? Well, I I was kind of urged by friends to do it a number of years, and then I never did it, but then being retired, I, I, by the way, after it's gone, I started another hotel company called Capella Hotels. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, I sold that. So I said, it's time to share and just motivate, hopefully, uh, the CEOs to do the right job for young people how to look at work and how to grow in business. It was a motivation which, which people had urged me to do. So I finally did it and uh, tried to express and saying, hey, 
a work is not something terrible. It's in fact something very honorable, very exciting, and here it is. Well, you know, that, that leads me to a, a, uh, my opening question is that it seems to me that early on you had this desire for, for excellence. Where did those instilled values come from? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When, mind you, when I left home, I was 14. I lived in a hotel and in a dorm room, and I had kind of been told that that was a very was a, a job that's not very honorable. <laughs> and my, even my parents told me, when you go to this hotel, the guests are very important, or behave yourself. We could never go to a hotel like that. But I experienced slowly the maitre d', who was highly respected in the restaurant. By every guest, by every employee, because he created excellence. He was excellence. And he told us, don't come to work. He told us at the time, don't come to work to work. Come to work to create excellence. Of course, I went over my head. I but love that. Two, yes. two years later, you know, when you wash dishes and clean the floors, you, excellence, you can't relate to it. But two years later, going to hotel school, that's typical German upbringing, the, the teacher asked us to write a story about what we now feel about, about our business. And when I watched the matter did that night, it occurred to me that he didn't only talk about excellence. He was a human being of excellence. He would have never entered the room without looking right. right. And then I saw that the guests were proud when he came to their table. That's a reversal. And I realized it became clear, like a light went on, that we define ourselves, can define ourselves by how we work, but what we do in life. Yes. No matter what the job description, and I realized we can define ourselves with excellence. And that's when I wrote an essay, and I named that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And that kind of, and because I got an A in that essay, the only A I ever had, before and after, it kind of impacted me and it stayed with me to most time. Oh, I forgot in between. But every time when I, when I did the job, not as excellent as I wanted to, I was reminded by this melody, why come to work to just work? Why not do it excellently? So it, it kind of formed me and, and it stayed with me ever since. And in a way, it still is. And so that phrase, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, how did you come up with that? Yeah, well, well it was very clear that I was constantly told the, told the people in the, in the restaurant are ladies and gentlemen. We are not. I want to be a gentleman too. And I really suddenly, I could define myself as such. And consequently, I said, we are, if we do things right, and this is a, we are ladies and gentlemen, and we are respected. Oh, but if we don't do things right, we are sentencing ourselves to be servants. And that is, so it's, it, it was suddenly clear, it's my, in my hands, in my power to define myself as a gentleman and by what I'm doing, no matter what it is. And I, I sincerely mean it. I have seen dishwashers define themselves as gentlemen by what I did, of course, and I think right now, but one of them who, went, who eventually became a general manager with me and Ritz Carlton, yes. because he, in this case, defined himself in every job as a gentleman, as excellent. And, and, and it, 
became so clear with me. It was 16 at the time that wow. everybody can do that and I can too. And, and you know, when you go to a Ritz-Carlton, the service is such, I mean, it's, it's not a cut above, it's two or three cuts above the service of any other hotel. Because now I, I, I really understand the ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that is, that is phenomenal. Well, I mean, you made it clear, of course, I, mind you, I'm, I'm retired from Ritz-Carlton many years. Yes. And I have a new company, ultra luxury hotel company I was involved with and sold recently. But that's it. We hire people. And it's not just words to use and have a phrase. That was the motto. I met at the motto of Ritz-Carlton. Yes, yes. It's not just words. You have to hire people accordingly. Right. You have to create a work environment accordingly. We, we say our, our ladies and gentlemen work in an environment of belonging and purpose and they're empowered. So, and, and every, every manager is being told, now understand, they are ladies and gentlemen, just like you, they are to be treated accordingly. Yes. And every guest is a ladies and gentleman and we treat them accordingly. So it, had, it, it, it became the culture of the organization which then created the behavior and the attitude. The one thing, there's a few things I love about your book. One is that it is 152 pages of a pure read. And what I mean by that, there's no fluff. You get right to it and you break the book down into three key parts. Part one is serving your customers. Part two is engaging your employees. And then part three is building true leadership. Let's talk about part one serving your, your customers. What are the key themes you want the reader to come away with? To, to understand, be, be customer focused. Understand the, what, the, what the customer really wants. Be true, not, not what you think the customer wants, but truly understand the customer, what the, what the guest wants. And the, and the fascinating thing is, all guests really want the same thing. No, <laughs> no matter what you buy, if you buy a car or, an, or, or a bottle of water, let's stay with a bottle of water. You want the, de the product to be defect free, no matter what you buy. Right. Number two, you want it to be timely. You want it when you want it. And number three, you want the people who give it to you to be nice to you. Those are the three fundamental subconscious expectations that you have when you buy anything. So as a supplier, as a business, you have to create processes behind those expectations carefully. In addition, though, what the guest wants or the customer wants, they want each individualization and personalization. In other words, after those three things, the customer wants that you adjust to them individually and personally so that you can adjust. For example, if, if our, our guests say that they liked room 56, we try to give them next time room 56. That means individualizing for them. If they say they like chocolate cookies, I promise next time when they come and check in, they have chocolate cookies in room. That's individualizing. But in the meantime, we have to make sure the other things work. So what am I saying? Market and customer focused. And then market focused and then individualized focused on whatever you're doing and you cannot lose. That is great. You know, in, in chapter two, um, you, there's a quote, if you think customer service is merely a desk 
back in the corner of the yeah. store. You have sorely shortchanged the concept. Can you talk to us about the grander view you have of customer service and, and, and why it determines success? But let, let, me, let me define customer service for a moment. It starts the instant I make contact with the customer. Not, not a second later. No, no, that instant it starts. So it starts with defined welcome. It continues then with caring compliance to the customer's needs and wishes. If I caringly comply with the intent to caringly help the customer with what they need and wish, caringly help them and support them so that they get what they need and wish. And that's how it starts with the welcome and then it goes on with complying to those wishes and then it ends up with farewell. But service is simply that, caringly trying to support the customer so the customer gets what the customer wants. And, and, and you talk about the four supreme objectives. Can you just reiterate those for us? Of a company, well, the four com supreme objectives of a company is number one, keep the customer. Is that what, I guess that's what you're referring for. Mm -hmm. if, if I'm running a company, if I, a great organization really does four things, number one, and it cannot be encroached on by number two, three, and four, but number one, keep the customer. In other words, every one of the organization knows not only to fulfill the function of the job, but the function has to be fulfilled in a way where it convinces the customers to want to come back. In other words, I'm not just checking in people on the front desk. I'm trying to convince you with my check-in, with my moment with you to want to come back. Customer loyalty is number one. That cannot be encroachment. That has to be every of effort of every single employee, support and customer focus to make sure the customer wants to come back. We measure that every day. How many guests want to come back and want to re recommend us so that we can immediately correct if we don't convince everyone. The number two, what a, what a company does, find new customers. Number three, get as much money from the guests as possible. Wait a minute. Ah, without encroaching, with other words, you're giving value. And it, the truth is a loyal guest will buy more from you because loyalty means nothing more than trust. They develop trust in you. Consequently, they're willing, they're willing to buy more from you. And of course, the number four things a great company does is a great company does it efficiently. And there could be, frankly, there could be a book written about each one of those points. I concentrate so as much as possible on the customer focus and then on the employees who do it and the leadership who creates the situation where employees want to do it. So let's talk about handling the difficult, challenging customers. Uh -huh, the process yeah. that you have outlined in your great book. Yes. How do you best handle the fine art of handling complaints? Yeah. Well, you see, our focus is to not lose a single customer, even if a customer has a problem. And we must understand here that problems with that complaints will happen. Now, there are, we know that over 96% of customer complaints, the customer only want to get rid of their frustration. So consequently, we, we, we certify every employee how to handle a problem. 
and, and the, the way it's simply done is by accepting the complaint, by saying, please forgive me. So with other words, if the, the guest was a hotel guest in our case, and he or she comes in the morning to the restaurant and the waiter said, I hope you had a good stay with us. And the guest said, no, I didn't because my TV didn't work. In that moment, the waiter owns the TV. We have taught him that. And the waiter is done to say, please forgive me. I'm so sorry that our TV didn't work. And I feel embarrassed and sad about, I would like to buy your breakfast on me. Now, so that means you have to have empowered employees. Yes. yes. So you have to be, have aligned employees and empowered employees, not just say it. But in that moment, we know 96% of the customers are, are fine by saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You see, rather than saying, I call the manager, that is taboo because the guest wants to get a frustration right then. If he wanted to talk to a manager, he would have asked for a manager. So we know that 3% of guests really deserve remedy. Something happened, babe, you, you have to make amends, uh, not charge for the room or whatever. And we know that less than 1% of the guests are actually, well, they just like to complain. Mm -hmm. They just <laughs> like to say something is wrong. Right. That exists, but it is well less than 1%. So. And, but of course, you cannot shove your 96% into that 1%. <laughs> so, so in our case, I, I said, if we really don't accept a complaint at all, and even want to maybe make, be evict a guest, which happened, that I'm the only one who can make that decision. That's the only thing I don't empower people to do. Because I don't want, because with the, with the whole thinking, do not lose a customer. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Hort Schultz, who is the author of Excellence Wins. And we are having a great conversation. If you missed any part of this broadcast, you'll be able to catch it up on our iTunes podcast under Leadership with Darrell Gunter at WSOU.net. Um, so let's talk about engaging your employees. And you have in your first chapter of this second part, it talks about more than a pair of hands. Elaborate on that. What do you mean by yeah. employees more than just but, a pair of hands? Well, it really starts, it, it sadly starts that, that companies, we, we all are busy in companies. We have to, we need, we need employees to work. We need certain jobs to be filled. And unfortunately, we hire people to fulfill a certain function usually, which, which if you really think about it, is a little bit immoral because the chair in which we're sitting is fulfilling a function. We should hire people to become part of who we are, give them purpose and belonging. Purpose by inviting them to take part of the objectives of the company. With other words, align them. That's alignment. Alignment is often used, this overused word of alignment, Alignment is if every employee understands the objective of the company, the purpose of the company, and the motives of that purpose, and how their own motives link with the motives of the company. They also should all understand the expectation of the, of the guest or customer. That's when they're aligned. And to, to 
to create that environment, to select employees properly, orient them to the thinking, to the feeling, to the objective, to the soul of the company, and not just put them to work with somebody. That is aligning. And now they become part. Now they have purpose. And you know, even Aristotle already, 3,000 years ago, so, so said, people need purpose and belonging. Well, why wouldn't we give that to people? Why then would we hire people just to fulfill function? Like the, again, like the chair in which we're sitting. And suddenly they become part, not just working, not just workers, they become part. And consequently will do a better job because they want to. That's leadership. Creating an environment in, in which people want to do the job, rather have to do the job. Wow, that is awesome. That is really, really awesome. And so when you talk about first things first, um, what are the, the key principles of first things first? Well, I, 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 in, in, I, well, I can say that relative to kind of first in, in, in the whole, I'm, 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 first, I'm touching that several times in the book and I'm not sure what you're referring to, but the, the mm-hmm. whole first thing first is do, do everything, concentrate, on the things that you concentrate on your selection, concentrate on your orientation, concentrate on the teaching, concentrate on something, concentrate to know what the customer wants, what the customer wants, and how to get and measure it. And, and so and concentrate on your leadership rather than managing. It's difficult today to, because today's managers are, are forced to focus on the money rather than focusing on the things that make the money. And, 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 and so, so it, the first thing first, I kind of really spread throughout the company, the, the, the whole book, because it, you, 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 you first, you, like, like hiring employees, people go and hire people, rather than selecting employees that fit in a certain job categories, et cetera, et cetera. And so when, when we talk about leadership, um, and in, in chapter nine, you talk about the, the manager's push and leaders inspire. You, 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 you start off about what you believe and you say here, I believe we're all made with two fundamental desires, purpose and relationship. And, and, That's you, right. and you kind of touched upon it in your previous yeah. question, but I'd like to dive in to it a little bit more in regards to when you are interviewing someone for any role. Uh, yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you discern if they have yeah. that particular innate capability? Yeah, well, we, we categorize, we, we say, I'm going to create a, an, an employee who, who relates, who becomes part, who, 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 who values who we are. There are, three, there are four steps in our opinion. Number one is the selection. So what we did, we, we started each cat- category and thought, what is the profile of a successful employees in that particular job category? Incidentally, we went from general manager who runs a major business to dishwasher. We know all the profiles that it takes and we know what question to ask to identify if they have that profile. If I hire against that profile, I know if the employee comes to work they will be happy what they're doing because they have the talent and the profile to be successful in that particular job. Next, we orient. We orient them. Let's be very honest. How do people get oriented to a job? 
you, the new Veda comes in, Bill, we turn him right up, we make a silly speech about team, <laughs> and we turn him over to Joe, and we say he knows the ropes, even though you're not in the rope business. We turn him over to Joe. And Joe now potentially says all kinds of negative things about the company. That's his orientation. That's a very sad thing. We don't. We orient the first day. In fact, in every Ritz Carlton, in every Capella Hotel later, the new ones, the new ones that we open new or that we took over, I did the orientation. If that was Shanghai or Philadelphia or Hawaii, it didn't matter. I did the orientation and told them who we are. I said, you're now part of something. Here's who we are. Join this part. In fact, during the hiring process, we said, don't come here to work. Come here to join who we are. But that doesn't mean you don't have to work hard. In fact, maybe even harder. But join who we are. Join a dream. Become part of a vision, of a purpose. So to align that, and that's how you build, of course, your culture too. And next, we, we did the orientation very careful. Next in orientation, the second day, we taught them what are the 20 things that will set us apart? Our gold, golden rules, our golden standards. Those 20 things we taught very careful the second day. And, and, then we, and then we started to teach the function that they have. And the next step we did, we sustained those 20 golden rules. Every day, nobody can go to work without hearing the basic of the day, today, maybe point 11, which will be shared in every hotel before every shift. Nobody can go to work until they learn the 11th step of the 20 that we taught in the second day. We remind them today, for example, what we touched before, if you get a complaint, you own it. They will be explained again. It will be retaught again in 24 days, because they're all together 24 points with the 20 basic and four base points. In 24 days, it will be repeated again so that it cannot ever escape. Right. And when, when, when everybody told me, well, we know it, we don't have to listen to it again, I asked them all, do you know what Coca-Cola is? And they said, sure. And I said, Coca-Cola knows that you know, but they're still advertising because and spend billions because they don't want it to slip from your mind, nor do I want to slip those 20 points that are important to us. That is an excellent point. Well, believe it or not, we are coming down to the end of our interview. Wow. Uh, we have a couple minutes left, but I do want to focus on part three of your book, which it talks about building true leadership. And that chapter 11 talks about leading is an, an acquired skill. Yes. Are, are, are leaders born or can, or can no, they no, they're, they're not born. <laughs> of course, people think because there's some, some leader may be very affable and very uh, out, outspoken that that makes leaders. That's not true. I have met leaders that are very quiet, very reserved, but they all have something in common. They have a clear vision. They know that vision is good for all concerned. They agonize when they establish their vision. Is it good for the investor? Is it good for the guest? Is it good for the employee? Is it good for society? And if it was, if it clearly is, they know they cannot compromise it. They have to help, that they're there to help people to get there, to help people, support them, 
pull them, show them, show them value, work with them, and respect each single employee. They know that. Yes. The, the manager just makes things happen. In fact, the manager doesn't worry if the objective is good for all concerned or not, as long as it brings a profit. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Hortz Schultz, who is the author of Excellence Wins. And it is a phenomenal, it's probably one of the best books on leadership that I've read in my career. And I mean that sincerely. And I've read a lot of books. Thank you. This is phenomenal. Hortz, where can they purchase your book? Where, where, Amazon. Just on Amazon, and starting the fifth of March, it will be in Barnes and Nobles and other stores. You know, Horst, you have motivated me today to do something I've never done before. Um, this show is going to be up on iTunes today. It will broadcast in March, but it will be up, and I will promote it because I think we need better leaders, and you have the keys to success, sir. Thank you very, very much. I very much appreciate. It. it was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard it here, Mr. Hortz Schultz, who is the author of Excellence Wins. If you've ever stayed at a Ritz-Carlton Hotel, this gentleman's principles has made that company great. And now he has a, another company that you just sold, correct? Yes, Capella Hotel Company. It's, it's in the ultra luxury. Uh, I wanted to, to build something even fancier, but of course, very small and very exceptional. Boutique, beautiful, yes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real joy for me. Um, Mr. Hortschultz, who is the author of Excellence Wins. And uh, this show, if you missed any part of it, will be up on iTunes. Uh, my podcast there, Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter. That wraps it up for this week on leadership. And um, as I always say, have a great weekend. But remember, leadership begins with you. WSOU. .net, WSOU 89.5 FM. Have a great weekend.